I want to conclude today our series, uh, Points of Passion. Uh, points of Passion. And so um, turn with me in your Bible to John chapter 1. And, um, and we're going to dive in together. And in a way, I want to continue a little bit from where I was last week. And so if you were here last week, that'll make sense to you. If not, I'm glad you made it this week. Um, but uh, John chapter 1, uh, it, it, it's, uh, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Ultimately, he's water baptized and he goes into the wilderness for 40 days. And then he comes out of the wilderness and he starts picking up followers, disciples. Um, and, uh, and so the Bible says that he had, had come from Bethany beyond the Jordan. Just it, I don't know. I just sometimes think you want to know these things in case you're ever trapped in a, in a really intense game of Bible trivia. But Bethany is a town that's um, south um, east of Jerusalem where Mary and Martha and Lazarus hung out. And so Jesus frequented that town. But when it says Bethany beyond the Jordan, now we're talking about the east side of the Jordan, not the west side of the Jordan. And so this is a different region that doesn't really, it's not really known by this name anymore. Um, but Jesus comes out of the Jordan desert. That was the wilderness, which is on the, it's on the, the west side of the Jordan, but the east side of Jerusalem, there's a valley down through there. And so that's where the wilderness was. And then he comes out and, and it says um, that from, from this Bethany area. And, and so then he meets Andrew and Peter, and then he continues to, to Galilee, which would only be about a day from there. If it's Jerusalem, it's a lot far. The Bethany near Jerusalem is a lot farther. So I, I just, you know, I don't know in case you ever wonder. Um, but anyways, um, and so this is the very beginning of his ministry, and he's about to call followers. John chapter 1, verse 40, it says, One of the two heard John speak and followed Jesus, and that was Andrew, Simon's brother. And so probably he heard John's ex exclamation uh, and proclamation about Jesus being the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And he believes and follows, verse 41, And then he first went and found his brother Simon, and he said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you're Simon, the son of John, and you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And then the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip. And Philip, and he said to Philip, follow me. And now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, verse 45. So Philip went and found Nathanael. Time out. Are you seeing a pattern? Andrew goes and finds Peter. Philip goes and finds Nathaniel. And he said to him, we found the one in whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of long, I mean, Nazareth? <laughs> and Philip said to him, pathway, come, I mean, Jesus, come see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said, How you know me? <laughs> I don't know. Something about that exchange is so awesome to me. Like, Nathanael, you're an amazing guy. How you know me? You follow me on Instagram? <laughs> Nathanael said to him, how do, I, how do you know me? And Jesus said, before Philip called you underneath the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered and said, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And Jesus said, because I said I saw you under the fig tree, you'll see greater things than these. And so let me, 
Let me pray for us. I call this message really something that I, I introduced at the end of last week's message. But I call this message, Somebody's Somebody. Somebody's Somebody. Andrew was found and went and found Peter. Philip was found and went and found Nathaniel. Somebody's Somebody. Let's pray. Father, we have gathered today in your presence, not out of religious obligation, but out of a hunger, God, to hear from you. And we pray that in these moments, God, you would anoint both the words that are spoken and the ears that are listening. And so that, God, we would never be distracted, but we would hear with, with clarity, God, what you want us to hear. God, that the Holy Spirit would be able to speak directly into our hearts and that his words would stick in the soil of our hearts and God produce a harvest of righteousness and truth and joy and peace and all things good that you intend. So Holy Spirit, come now and speak. We are listening in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Somebody, somebody. Um, so in the text you see, and that's why I want to read all of that because you see like, okay, here goes, here goes, um, Andrew, and, and he meets Jesus, and his first thought is, I, I've got to go find someone else. And Philip meets Jesus, and his first thought is, I've got to go find someone else. And what I said was that if everyone in here, if we were to tell our stories, more than likely, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you were to tell your story, and I said, tell me about how you came to know Christ, you're going to tell me about somebody. And you're going to tell me about a Sunday school teacher, or you're going to tell me about a youth pastor, or you're going to tell me about a neighbor, or you're going to tell me about someone you worked with, or maybe you're going to tell me about your parent or parents, but you're going to tell me about somebody. That's one thing we all have in common in this room is all of us who know Christ, somebody was our somebody that brought us to meet Jesus, however that looked, whether they brought us to church and we received Christ there, or whether they prayed with us on the bumper of a truck or in a break room or wherever the case may be. All of us have a somebody. And what we've been talking about the last two weeks in this series about being passionate about the things that God is passionate about, what we've been talking about is we want to be somebody, somebody. That there are somebodies out there and all of those somebodies need a somebody to point them to Christ. And what we said is we can't sit in our church. I'm afraid sometimes we do church like, um, do you remember the game called Sardines? Uh, did anybody go to a youth lock-in growing up? You were in one of those churches? Yeah, it was the death of many youth pastors. It was the trial of many church people. Um, I, yeah, just if you don't know a lock-in, so that's where we took a lot of teenagers and we'd take them up to the church about eight o'clock and then we'd serve them like cookies and Mountain Dew and pizza. <laughs> Right. And then we'd lock them in the building and teenagers stayed in the building all night together. What part of this seemed like a good idea? And then the, the goal of the youth pastor was to try to stay awake and to keep the teenagers from doing things that they wanted to do. And now they had the whole facility in which to engage in those type of activities if they could just sneak away. <laughs> and then we would play a game called sardines because what could go wrong playing a game? That's how you entertain them. So what we do is we turn out all the lights. <laughs> and the goal of sardines was one person had to go hide and you all had to grope around in the dark 
being as quiet as you could and find the person that was lying in the room quietly and then you would lay down with them until there was a pile of bodies not making a sound lying together in the dark. Seems like a great plan, teenagers. And the last one to find the group, you know, was it. And my thought is, I'm afraid that's how church is today. We all hide in the buildings together, those who can find it, and just hope everybody else is lucky enough to find us if they need us. And church should be the exact opposite of sardines. We shouldn't be hiding in the dark, in our pews, between, in our walls, just thinking, well, if they need us, they'll find us. If people need church, they'll find it. I hope they can find their way. No, we should be going out in the, into the streets, into the community, saying, hey, we have the answer. We have the answer to your question. And we would like to show you the way because we believe found people find people. We're not going to hide and hope you find us. We're going to go find you. What could go wrong with sardines? And so we believe found people find people. And here you have some found people who are finding people. And we want to be somebody's somebody. And so that being said, I have four things. And I'm going to try to get through this without going long. So a miracle could happen. It could happen today. And so, but write this down. If we want to be somebody, somebody, number one, we must be found. We must be found. See, here's what happens is that Jesus finds Andrew and then Andrew is found. So then he goes and finds Peter. Philip finds Jesus or Jesus found him. It says that Jesus found Philip. And then Philip goes to find Nathaniel. That if we're going to find someone, you must be found first. You must be found first. In other words, you have to know who found you. And you have to be confident and convinced of who found you. Because here, what both of these, what Philip tells Nathaniel, I've found the one. I've found the one that the law and the prophets talk about. I've found Jesus the Christ from Nazareth. I, I found him. Like, th this is the one. Like, this is who I'm convinced. This is what I believe. And, and my question is, my question is, are you convinced you've been found by the Lord? Because I'm concerned in modern day Christian, I'm concerned some things are a little, a little bit messed up. Um, and I'm going to preach to me as much as I'm going to talk to you. But, but my concern is that even the way we do salvation and we do it here, but, but the way we give people an opportunity is, is a little bit messed up because, because what we do is we say, you know, everybody bow your head, close your eyes. And, and then, okay, if you want to follow Jesus, then you just slip your hand up. Okay, really quick. Okay. And then we'll pray quietly together and no one around you will know you're professing faith. And then you can walk out of here and I'm not sure we're doing anybody a favor. And the truth of it is a prayer doesn't save you anyway. It's a decision that saves you. And I'm afraid the church has been really good at selling a religion and not really good at teaching people to surrender to a savior. 
Jesus didn't come to, to be the icon or the franchise face of your religion. He didn't come to make you a more religious version of you. He, come really, he came really in some ways shattering a lot of religious ideology to be a savior because he doesn't want a religious version of you. He wants a transformed version of you. He didn't come to make you religious. He came to make you new. Are you with me? And I'm afraid that sometimes, sometimes the way that we approach this is, is that, that almost as though um, that we as a church are afraid to call people to a life-changing, life-altering commitment with the Lord, and we are asking people to join a religion, and the initiation for a religion is repeating a prayer, and then we teach people to make Jesus an additive or make him your religion, but he didn't come to be an additive or religion. He came to be a, a Lord, and religion has some requirements but a Lord requires everything. For him to be Lord, it means you can't be Lord. You can't have two masters. You can't serve two masters. And if you're still the Lord of your life, then he's never been your Lord. And he's not just a savior. He's a savior and a Lord. He's not inviting you into his religious club. And my concern is that there are a lot of people that name the name of Christ and they don't know what found them. And they don't know who they're, I'm afraid today in Christianity, it is more commonplace for us to expect Jesus to follow us around after we accept him than for us to lay everything down and follow him. Because he is the additive to our life. He is the, the thing that, that we put in. Like I needed a religion and now he's in my religious box and in my religion box I follow around and he goes with me and he blesses me and does good stuff wherever I go and he's supposed to take care of me and he's my good shepherd. Well, if you look, the good shepherd was the one that the sheep followed. The shepherd did not follow the sheep. That's my question is, are you following him? Or are you asking him to follow you around so that he's there anytime something goes wrong and you might need something? Because what, what Peter and Andrew and Nathaniel and Philip do is they lay down their entire life. They were not getting a religion. They were getting a Lord. And they laid down their life, their priorities, their values, their intentions and purposes, their businesses. And they laid all of that down and said, we were doing our thing. Now we're going to do his thing. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And I'm afraid there's a lot of people that prayed. And the way we do it, because I remember growing up in church and uh, we went to youth meetings um, and youth meetings. I think most of them were convinced they did a good job, too. They, they, I think they're they're. they're primary objective was to convince us we were going to burn in hell. And, um, and they were very successful at it. They had a lot of different ways to convince us that we're going to burn in hell. Um, but we would have youth rallies and stuff, and they always had a special speaker, and he would come and convince us we were going to burn in hell. And he would say things like, if you've ever thought a thought that Jesus hasn't thought. And I'm like, I'm 15 years old. Has it been two and a half seconds? Because I'm pretty sure... 
testosterone's hitting my brain, like it's damaging it. I, I don't even know what to do with it myself. And then they would say, it doesn't matter if, you, if you've ever committed a sin, even since you prayed, then you're backslidden and you've fallen from grace. And all of those, quite honestly, are misapplied. But anyways, um, not what I believe, but back, back then. And so they would get us to the place and then they'd get the altar call and they'd have the organ music or the piano music. They'd get real soft. If you were to die tonight, if you were to die right now, like you're leaving here and you're going to go to McDonald's with your friends, and bam, a truck runs over you. <laughs> if you were to die, because you wouldn't see it coming. If you were to die tonight, because they had that way of doing the bad thing, and if you die tonight. I want to know, would you go to heaven or hell? I want to know, would you go? Or would he say, depart from me, for I never knew you. And, and, and so we all thought, because it's, I don't know, you don't have to be smart to think, okay, they've described hell, and one of them went to this real in-depth, like it's like sulfur burning and eating your flesh away. Praise the Lord, just want to encourage you. You ever smelt burning flesh for all eternity? Or you can go to heaven and it's like a big pizza party and cool stuff. And you're sitting out there and you're like, let me think about this for a minute. Let me think. My skin burns off. Bliss and wonderful things the rest of my life. It's a hard choice. I think I'm going to take heaven. And my concern is we've sold it that way, and, and what's happened is a lot of people have chosen heaven over hell, but they haven't chosen Jesus over self. And so we have a lot of people that never made Jesus their Lord. And here's how you can know if you're following him. Are things changing? Growing things change. Are things changing? Because here's what I know about, think about this. The Bible says that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead comes to dwell in us. So when we're saved, when we're born again, the spirit of God comes to, to dwell in us. It resurrects our soul. I can't imagine putting the power of God's spirit in anything and it staying the same. So if nothing changed may offend you, but nothing happened. Because for them, they said he's the Christ. What's the verse? I don't know what to do, but you know what I got to do? I got to go tell somebody I found the Christ. And then I'm going to lay down my life and follow him. Because I'm convinced of who he is. Who is he to you? Who is Jesus to you? Is he a religion to you? Is he the franchise face of the church? Who is he to you? Is he the Lord? Is he the Redeemer? Is he the Savior who died your death on a cross, was buried in your tomb, and three days later resurrected? Who is Jesus to you? Because you'll never find anyone till you know who found you. What has he done in your life? What, what was salvation like for you? What changed about you? Because what you believe about him will determine how far you follow him. And I think if we're going to find people, then we have to know who found us 
and what happened when they found us. What changed? What did we experience? What did, what did we encounter? And the truth is, the more we follow Jesus, the more convinced we are that he is the Messiah. I mean, Jesus said, oh, you think I'm the Messiah because I, I can tell you I saw you under a fig tree. The greater things than these are you going to see. In other words, if we're really following him, we become more convinced, not less convinced. But we'll never, we'll never find anyone until we know who found us. Who found you? What does it mean to be found? What does it mean to you? Here's the second thing. We're somebody, somebody. We have to care about others. We have to care about others. Now, here's what I believe. I, I believe you care about others. I do. I, I know a lot of you, and I know our church has a big heart, and we give, and there's just so many wonderful things, the way people serve here, and the way people give, and the way people do outreach, and just so many wonderful things that, that I could say on and on. I know people care, but now we're talking about, do we care about the fact that we have the answer that so many people have the question for? Because this is what happens with, with, with um, Philip. He, he is found by Jesus, and then his first thought, same thing with Andrew. His first thought is, I just found the answer, and I know somebody that has the question. I just found the Christ, and, and, and I know somebody that was looking for him. So how could I stay here? I've got to go to them to tell them, I, I found what you're looking for. You're looking for peace. I found the prince of it. You're looking for joy. I found the one who anoints your head with, with, with joy, who your cup runs over. Right? You're looking for forgiveness. You want shame to be gone? Like, I, I have the answer for the question that you have. How could I just keep it to myself in a really good game of sardines? And, and so this is what they do. They, they care enough to say, if I have an answer, I've got to go give it to people who have the question. And here's my question. I know we care, but do we care enough to be inconvenienced? Do we care enough to be inconvenienced? Uh, in in uh, Mark chapter 2, um, it says that Jesus is, is having a house party, um, and he's preaching the gospel probably at Peter's house. And, and so these, these men, it says these four men, hear about this, and they have a friend who's paralyzed um, on his mat. And they said, hey, you know what? Like Jesus, is, we know he's going to be over here. Like, guys, this, this is what it means to care, is trying to get people where Jesus is. And they said, let's go get him. And, and I love it because it says there was four of them. In culture, two people would usually carry one on a mat. So this indicates that this, this person was um, healthy and um, very healthy, like healthy enough for two people because we had to double up the horsepower and it took four people to carry him instead of just two. Are you tracking with me? But they were willing to put some sweat and some effort and to be in, like they could have just gone to, I wonder, could I just say this? They could have just gone to church and left him at home and said, man, I hope you, we're playing sardines. I hope you find us. But here's what they thought, check this. They thought it would be sin to go to church by themselves. See how I snuck that in there. 
You didn't see that coming. Some of you said amen, like amen. Oh, shoot. You know, it's like, <laughs> like I agreed with it. They're coming. Right? But they said, I can't. How could I go to a place where I know Jesus is when I know someone that needs to be there and not try to take them with me? Oh, man, this would revolutionize church, wouldn't it? If this week we thought, who do I know that needs to know Jesus and how could I possibly show up at church without them or without at least trying to get them there? Because we're not going to play sardines. We're going out into the world to change it. Are you with me? And I think they were thinking it would be wrong of us to go, and they probably could have gotten there early and got a good seat. But instead, they're so late getting there that they can't even get in the house. And even then, they could have said, yo, bro, sorry, man, we're just going to put you here, and we're going to try to sneak up through there because we can't get you through there. No, no, they cared so much. They cared so much that when they couldn't get in, they said, let's put him on our shoulders, carry him up on the roof. We'll dig through. They were okay with basically committing a crime. <laughs> like, we're going to break and enter, right? B&E this thing. You understand? We're, where's the shovel? Because it would have been a thatched roof with, with branches and with mud and clay. And, and they're like, ah, uh, bring a pick and a shovel. We're going to do whatever it takes to get this man to Jesus. And my question is, is there someone in your life where you could say, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get this person to Jesus? If I got to break in somebody's hat, don't do that. But... Uh, I can see now I get a call and you're in jail. It's like, are you the pastor? They said it was your fault. I'll say depart for I never knew you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. I would never do that. I will come. But man, they, they went through. They went. They, they, extra, look at the extra effort here. Look at it. And here's my question. Like when you see someone drowning, what do you do? Do you say Swim. I'm on the shore. I hope you make it. You can do it. Right? Or do you say, well, maybe I could, I got to throw something at you. Or you to dive in and save them. That's what I'm saying. We got to dive in and save people. Are you with, we got to care enough. We, 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 we got to, we got to be found. And then we got to care enough to be inconvenienced. Here's the third thing. And then we got to show them the way. Remember, they're lost. We got to be their GPS. We got to show them the way. And I love this because what, what Philip says to Nathaniel is, come and see. He didn't say, hey, you know what? You go down there to where the fig trees are, you know, over there. Um, and you hang a left there, right there at the fig trees. And you're going to go across the railroad tracks and go two stores down right there where Bubba Ray has a hardware store right there. And you're going to hang a left. <laughs> because in East Texas and in the Deep South, we don't use street names. There's a pastor one time, they gave him instructions on how to get to the church, and this was the instruction. Turn where the dog chases your car, and then turn left where the big oak tree used to be. <laughs> I'm not from here. How do I know where it used to be? But... <laughs> <laughs> but, but what Philip says is he says, come and see. Come, I'm going to show you the way. 
Like, I'm going I'm to plant the seed. I'm going to show you the way. And we should live our lives showing people the way. Our, your life should be a God positioning system that points other people to the answer for their question. And I think sometimes when we talk about winning people for Christ, you know, unfortunately, we have seminars and all that kind of stuff, and we talk about closing the deal. Like, and, and what happens is we anoint people to go out and be a Jesus salesman, and then the conversations get really awkward because we have our, like our outline that they taught us. Right? I remember one time being teen, and I'm not saying it's bad, but they taught us the Romans road to salvation, which half the scriptures aren't even in Romans. And you had to, and so they give us cards with the Romans road and they teach us how to do a conversation with the Romans road. Right. And so you knock on the door and then, then they sent us out Saturday morning at eight o'clock to knock on doors and tell people about Jesus. Now, what could possibly go wrong with the, sometimes our hearts were good, but our strategies were just a little off. And so we're knocking on the door answer. Yes, sir. How are you? Do you go to church? Are you a Christian? Yes. Do you go to church? No. Do you know all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Because <laughs> that'll work, right? <laughs> if you were to die tonight, you know, <laughs> what could go wrong? If you confess, they're like, you know what? I just woke up. I got to go to work. Yeah. If you were to confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. <laughs> you know, it's like the door closes. Well, I could go right. And unfortunately, I felt so many times like when we were energized to go reach people, it became about how many sales we could make. And it was like we were just, and the people in the conversations, I think they felt like, you're not here for me. You're just trying to get a, a spiritual notch in your belt so you can tell everybody you converted somebody. And what, 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 what Philip did, what Andrew did, is they just pointed the way to Jesus with their life. Here, come see. They, we should live. Come see, come see, come see, come see. And, and what I mean by that is when we talk about reaching others. We talk about reaping a harvest, but what if you understand before someone you can reap a harvest, somebody's got to plant a seed. And I think too many times, you know, and I'm going to read this from John four, but too many times because Jesus said, look, the, 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 the fields are already ripe for harvest. Pray then the Lord of harvest send for workers. We think every field is ripe. So then we think the only way to evangelize is trying to close the deal. And most of the time, people are uncomfortable closing the deal because you don't understand that the work of an evangelist is just, is just one satisfied person telling a hungry person where they can eat. That's all it is. And you can point that way. And, and so let me, in other words, instead of just thinking about harvesters, we have to have gardeners before there's a harvest. Someone's got to plant a seed before you can get a harvest. Right? And so when you look at John 4, John 4, you know, Jesus is, is talking, John 4, 35, and he's saying, don't say it's four months, but open your eyes, the fields are ripe. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life. So the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus, thus the saying, one sows. Look at this. One sows, another reaps. is true. I sent you to reap what you haven't worked for, and others have done the hard work, and you reap the benefits. Now, that's the text, but I want to put it in context. Jesus came to Samaria to talk with a woman. 
He didn't give her a Roman's road. He didn't ask her where she was going to die. And he didn't say today, whether you know it or not, you're choosing heaven or hell. Which one are you choosing? Because that's not weird. No, he, he came and hung out at a well because he knew she'd be thirsty. And then he just related that, like Jesus was the king, I mean, in more ways than one, but he was the king at putting things in context of the culture because he said, oh, you, you came because you're thirsty. Let me talk to you about water. You know, if you drink this water, you're going to keep being thirsty. What if there was a water where you never had to thirst again? And then she said, oh, I'd love to have that water. He said, great, go get your husband. Why? Because what he's now telling her is the problem is you think relationships are, are, are your water and they're going to quench your soul. And how many times are you going to go back to that well before you realize that doesn't solve it? So all he's doing is putting his finger on the thing that she thought was the answer to the question they had that wasn't the answer. Like you can keep slap, swapping right on Tinder. You're still going to be empty the next morning. <laughs> you can hit the clubs. You're still going to regret it the next day. It's not going to solve the problem. So all he's doing is having a conversation. Now think about this. He's planting seed. He never invited her to know him. He said, if you knew the gift of God, which is kind of crazy, because only Jesus could say that and not sound like Gaston from Beauty and the Beast. But anyways, <laughs> if you knew the gift of God, you're the gift of the world. Actually, I am. <laughs> John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave me you. But anyways, um, but, but he's telling her, and then she goes to find people, and now she's sowing seed. Y'all got to come meet this guy who told me everything I ever knew, I ever did. And so now think, now they're all coming back to the well in white robes. And Jesus tells the disciples who had just gotten back from Jesus' chicken because they thought he was hungry. And then he said, no, I have food you don't know of. And they're like, how did he have food? Is there a water burger around here? But, and then he says, look, and he's not pointing to fields. He's pointing to people. And he said, here's what he's saying. I sowed the seed and now you're about to reap the harvest. Here's the ripe fields coming back. They're hungry now. They're thirsty now for the right thing. And she's leading them. And so he's saying, what happens? We had two laborers sowing seeds. And now you guys that just thought you were going to get some chicken. Now y'all get to come and y'all get to reap the harvest. And so you can't reap a harvest where there's not a sowing seed. So you have to live a life that points people to Jesus. How would I point people to Jesus? Very simple. You listen. People will tell you their problems if you listen because so few people will listen if you will listen, you'll find out people's problems. Amen. The greatest thing people want to talk about is themselves. Amen. It is. And so you just have to listen to them talk. Like, oh, man, I'm having a bad day. It's just saying, yeah, me too. So really tell me about it. Well, this, you know, car broke down, whatever. Oh, man, that's terrible. You know, I have those days too. That's why I'm so thankful for my relationship with God. I really draw strength from that. And then you just go on to work. All you did was you point, pointed people to Jesus. Sowing seeds. We should just recklessly be scattering seeds every day. Praying in a restaurant. Hey, man, we're about to pray. Would you like for us to pray with you? Sowing seeds. Then when you look up and people are coming, time to reap the harvest. Are you with me? Um, here, here's the last thing. Enjoy the reward. Enjoy the reward. So be found, care enough to be inconvenient, show them the way, and then enjoy the reward. 
First Corinthians three eight, he who plants and he who waters, um, and each will receive wages according to his labor. Look at this. So Paul's talking, some plant and some water, because they're all like, I'm a Paul, I'm of Apollo. So he's like, you're missing the point. Some plant, some water, God gives the increase, but whoever plants and whoever waters, both of them are saying, here's what he's saying. Check this, because we've been taught there's a reward for soul winning. Let me, there's a reward for planting. He who sows and he who reaps both share the reward. See this? In other words, being a farmer pays just as well in the kingdom as being a harvester. And what I want you to see is that they both, he said, they both reward. And I think we miss this in the Western church. But um, there's a reward, a reward system that God has put together. He came up with it. It's in, it's in eternity. That's why Jesus said, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Why? Because earthly treasures last, and he said dirt and moths and rust and all that stuff, you know, it deteriorates. But it's temporal. But eternal rewards are eternal. And he's like, do you want rewards here? I mean, if you think about it, I mean, think about how small this is compared to infinity. Would you rather have an award, you know, a reward for 20 years or a reward for infinity? And so Jesus talks a lot about rewards. And here's what he's saying. He's saying the one, the one who, who, who sows and the one who, who waters, right, the, the, they both receive wages according to their labor. And then, and just to show you, we're talking now about eternal wages. Jump down about five verses, 1 Corinthians 3, 13. It says, each one's work will become manifest for the day. That's when Christ returns. We'll disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work it was that was done. If the work that anyone built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. And if it's burned up, he'll suffer loss, though himself will, will be saved as one escaping the fire. Notice there's an eternal loss or an eternal reward. You see that? Here's what I'm saying. What we believe here determines where we spend eternity, but how we live here determines how we spend eternity. What we believe here determines where, what we do here determines how. That God, there's a reward system. And this is what I'm saying is if you sow seeds and you reap harvest, that there's a day coming where you get to enjoy that reward. Um, I'll tell you a story, and that is this is I'll tell you why you're here today. And you're like, I thought I was here. No, no, I'll tell you why you're really here. Um, my grandfather um, had never prayed to receive Christ. And um, he worked with a man named Mr. Jordan and called my mom this morning to try to get all the facts and we got as much as we could. But uh, he was working on an oil rig with a man named Mr. Jordan. And, and the best we can understand, Mr. Jordan was a believer and he was really good about sowing seeds. And he would find ways to point people to Jesus like my grandfather who had never accepted Christ. This time my mom and my aunt were, were children, small children, but you know, old enough to, to understand and know what's going on. And so Mr. Jordan would tell my grandfather about Christ. And then one day there was a lady down the street from them. She was a little French lady who spoke broken English. Her name was Miss Rose. Miss Rose stopped by and talked to my grandmother and said, I'd love to invite your family to go to church with me this Sunday. And so my grandmother and my aunt and my mother went to church. And that morning, my grandmother, who had, she said, prayed to receive Christ in a Baptist church when she was a child, rededicated her heart and her life to the Lord. 
Um, and and so then the next week, Miss Rose obviously extended an invitation. You guys can go back to church with me. We'd love to have you. And my aunt went up and put her arms around my grandfather and said, Daddy, would you go to church with us today? And of course, as he would tell the story, he said, well, how would I say no to that? And so my grandfather, who had had all the seeds of the gospel sown by Mr. Jordan and then was pointed to church and brought to church by Miss Rose that morning, heard the gospel and chose to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And from that point on, he was a different man, followed Jesus all of his life, went on to pastor several churches. One of those churches would be the church where my dad's family would actually come and my dom and dad would actually meet. And then they got married. And so today, out of the four cousins on my maternal side, three of us are pastors. And the other one, of course, is a believer. And so you're here today. Think about this. You are here today because of Mr. Jordan and Miss Rose. <clears throat> and I want you to understand that when we're sowing seeds and we're preaching, not preaching the guy, it is preaching the gospel. We're just sharing and pointing people towards Christ that it has generational impacts. And you know what I think today? Today, if someone accepts Christ, you know who gets a reward? Mr. Jordan. And Miss Rose, who have long since been in heaven, they get a reward along with my grandfather. Are you, do, do you understand what I'm saying? And so you're not in a church today because one day I woke up and said, you know, I'd love to start a church and I hope people come to it. You're in a church today because Mr. Jordan shared the truth of the gospel with my grandfather. Miss Rose was inconvenienced and invited some people to church and was willing to take them. And then my parents chose to follow Christ because of that. And I chose to follow Christ because of that. And now we started a church. My kids have chosen to follow Christ. I want you to understand it is powerful when you become somebody somebody and so this is what we're asking everybody to do is if you haven't done this already stop by the wall we have a wall it's a map of our city over it is our value found people find people it's what we believe that's what we just talked about found people find people and we just want you to, to, to whoever God has put in your path or on your heart that you're like, this is the person I'm going to believe for. I'm not going to go try to be weird and give an altar call necessarily, but I'm going to point them to Jesus every opportunity I get. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to believe that God through me could bring them to him. And it has a blank. I just want you to write their first name, not their first and last name, just their first name, you know, Fred, you know, Samantha, whoever. Just write their first name and I want you to go put it on the wall. Why? Because we're going to pray over these. And also, every time you leave a service, it's a reminder. Oh, I need to be praying for them. I need to find a way to point them, point them to Jesus. And what's going to happen one day is, is Samantha or James or whoever it is is going to come. Now, when they come to church, don't take them by the wall and show them their name. That'd be weird. That'd be like stalking. <laughs> but they're going to come and they're going to come because they've received Christ. Or maybe you're going to lead them to Christ. Or maybe they're going to come and they're going to receive Christ in a service. And when they do, you're going to get to go back to that wall and you're going to turn it over from their name just to this blue tile. And then our church is going to be inspired to say, uh-oh, someone else has, has come back to Jesus. Somebody was somebody, somebody. And we'll stay focused. And this is, we'll just work on it together until we see every one of these people come to know Christ. Listen, I want you to do this. Even you're, you got to think about this. You're like, that's ah, not really for me. It is. You're either a missionary or a mission field. There's no other option according to the gospel. 
You're either waiting on the gospel to come to you or you're taking the gospel. That's why we say found people, find people. You're either lost or you're found. And if you're found, you're finding someone else. That's the gospel. That's the great commission. Go into all the world. And it may be the next cubicle and it may be the next house or it may be Nigeria. It doesn't matter. Go into all the world can mean whatever it is to you. But the idea is that you've been commissioned to go into all the world. And so I want every person to do this. It, it, it increase your faith. You will pray. You will love like never before if you just do this. Find the person, put their first name, put it on the wall. If you don't know who they are today, just make sure you, you, by, the end, by the time you come back next week, you know who it is. Like I, this person in my office or this person in my company or this person at the gas station that I run to or this person at the diner where I eat. Why does it matter? My aunt, my uncle, my brother, my cousin, whatever it is, put it on there. They don't even have to be in Long Beach. They can be in Alaska. It doesn't matter. Put their name on there. We're still going to believe. You can reach them on Facebook, Instagram, call them, text them, whatever. We're just going to try to point people to Jesus. We want to be somebody's somebody. Found people find people. Amen. Why don't you stand with me?